Hi, Kelly. Hey, Lynn. How are you? I'm great. Is it Monday? No, it is not Monday. It is the Friday before spring break. Oh, Yay. my gosh. <laughs> so why are we doing this on Friday? Because I am taking my family to go camping. So I'm going to be out of pocket and you are adventuring around Texas, aren't you? Yes, I am. So this Yay. is pretty exciting. So listen, let's get on with it. Um, we This is episode three, everybody. And what we wanted to focus on today is some discussion around the frequently asked questions. This is different than what we talked about in episode two, which was misconceptions. So these, these are really the questions that just keep coming up again and again and again. How does this work? How does that work? So we're gonna bite off just a small piece today that has to do with basic co-housing concepts, regardless of what your project looks like or where you are in the country. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay. Well, the first one that keeps coming up is, are they really private homes? <laughs> I know we talked about that. This may seem like a rehash of our misconceptions, but I really wanted to come back and just emphasize that again, because these really are truly, like if you were to be blindfolded and taken into and escorted into, let's say the unit that I have selected, which is a regular two-story, four-bedroom townhome in Houston, Texas. You yep. blindfold me, take me inside that thing. You would not know that this was anything other than what it's advertised to be, which is a two-story townhome with four bedrooms upstairs. Um, we do have the common house that is, we like to tell people is an extension of their home, different than say a community house and a standard condominium project in as much as you know, you'll really live into that space in a different way. You won't feel like you're a visitor to that place. And actually, that's a piece of the puzzle that I don't know as much from personal experience. So maybe, Kelly, you could say something about that. Yeah, Lynn, you know, I think that that, that question has a couple of dimensions. And one of them is I think people are asking kind of how much privacy will I have if it's my private home? And how is that different between my home and the common house? And, you know, there are stories, co-housers will tell you stories about, like, I had three kids living in co-housing, so there were kids in our community who would just blast into my house um, to see if my kids were home, but I've heard tell that that happens in other neighborhoods, too. That's not really co-housing specific, but what is co-housing specific is that, well, when my doors are closed um, to my house, I don't expect neighbors to just walk in, or maybe I expect my next-door neighbor with whom I have a very close relationship to just walk in, but I'm not expecting that of the whole community. You know, I'm not going to have that level of relationship with 32 other households. Um, that's unrealistic, really. You know, I have my my private life and my private home, and then I've got kind of the people I'm the closest to. So then, the difference is the common house is the place where everybody walks in, where everybody mm -hmm. can come in. There are still going to be times when you're in the common house by yourself, you know, it's quiet, you've got music playing and you're making dinner or whatever, but anyone could just walk in. So when we say private homes, we really mean that that's your private space and you will, your neighbors will respect that you will treat it as such. And then the common house is the common space. It's where everybody can kind of come and go as they wish. Nice. You know, that kind of reminds me of, I'm just thinking back to one neighborhood I lived in growing up as a kid where, you know, we had that really tight relationship with the family next door. We were in and out of each other's houses. But then if I went one or two doors further down the street, 
there was a little bit more of a distancing there and a more kind of formal, polite knocking on the doors, et cetera. But all, all of both of these situations were still a lot more close in nature than the way we live today on the street I live in in, in, in Houston today. So, well, that's helpful, that's helpful. So that's the private home um, concept that we wanted to kind of drive, drive home, if you will, sorry for yeah. the pun. Um, so here's another question that we get asked a lot. I would say people come along and they are like very excited about the whole concept. They're ready to jump in feet first. And then they go, oh, you know, what if I don't get along with someone? And even worse yet, what if they don't like me? <laughs> and, you know, my stock answer on that is that I envision this to be very similar to a lot of the teams I've worked on in my career where I am striving to really establish relationships with the team such that we're all working together, we're pulling in the same direction, we have a common vision, and we're effective in the way we work together. But I may not like everybody on the team to the point where I would invite them over or want to go out to lunch with them, but I still have a very cordial and productive relationship with them. And I I can live in the same space as them. And in fact, you know, when you're on some of these big projects in a corporate world, you're actually living more with your team at work than you are with your family at home. <laughs> I don't know how that resonates for you, Kelly, given your experience living in co-housing. Yeah, I think that's a really good structural framework, a way, good way of looking at it, because you're not going to get along with everybody all the time. It's not, you know, utopia, it's your real life. And you're going to bring different things to different relationships at, at different times in your life. And so you have this, this need to work together effectively and to be pleasant and in community with people um, you don't want um, conflict to erupt. So there are some structural things in place um, that, that kind of prevent that from happening. You, you try to, as a community, ensure that people are making a commitment to the community, that they are there because they want to uh, live in community, and then also try to kind of neutralize their input by having a consensus framework that makes it so that everybody's voices are heard when you're making decisions. All of those things go towards making an effective, cordial team that pulls together in, in the right direction. Mm -hmm. But even within that, you know, you might sit down at community dinner and they're the people who you just don't know as well. Or mm -hmm. the person who like, oh man, she's still complaining about that. I don't want to sit next to Kelly. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, maybe you do, you know, maybe you sit down next to me and you hear something new and that, mm -hmm. that opens up a new door in your relationship. So the other thing that I've observed is that you may kind of move around with who you are closer with in the community. There are things that kind of on surface, you're going to have a lot in common with that person. And then there are going to be people with whom you need to dig a little bit deeper mm -hmm. to, uh, to figure out what you have in common with them or what you admire about them. But given the nature of co-housing that you're in community for a long period of time and you have kind of shared work to do together, and you have frequency, you see each other, you know, frequently, it gives you those opportunities to dig a little bit deeper and to find out what you, what you like about that person. Yeah. Well, you know, back to the work analogy, I'm just wondering what, and I'm just thinking also of some communal situations I lived in when I was a much younger professional, et cetera. I found myself in those situations of 
you know, depending on what was going on in my life or their lives, we might kind of bump closer to each other at different times, or we might fall away a little bit from each other, just depending on. So it's not like I had like the same people that I was always um, hanging out with, you know, it seemed to shift and ebb and flow as life moved. And yeah. I don't know if you found that too. Well, yeah. And that, I mean, to me, even in our current forming group, that's the exciting thing about having an intergenerational group is that we have, there's another woman in our group who has a child that's a similar age. And it's just delightful to talk to her as my girls are starting um, public school. They were always homeschooled and they're starting public school for the very first time. And she and I are texting about it because she's a huge source of support for me. But I don't think the whole group, you know, people whose kids flew and have been through this system, it's not new to them. They don't want to hear about it all the time. And that's great too. You know, it's Mm -hmm. really wonderful for me to be able to reach out to the people who are kind of the, the easy peers with whom I have a lot in common, but then also have the world opened up to me by people whose lives are different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so where you spend your time, you're probably going to spend your time with you know, the people who meet your interests immediately, but then your interests may, you know, shift as, as my kids move on, I, see, I suspect that I will wind up spending more time with the people who are a little bit older, who have time to go, you know, see things during the day or go do things that I, I can't currently do. Nice. Yes. How about for you, Lynn? What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I was just reflecting on the fact that I've noticed as I have, um, as I've, you know, aged, that I look more and more to women who are older to me to kind of help uh, shine a light on the path ahead of me. Yeah. When I was younger, I never thought about that because when you're younger, you're never going to get old, right? You're just going to, you know, <laughs> and, and when my, my mother died when I was in my early 30s. And so I really value having older women around me. And, um, but at the same time, I'm really frustrated sometimes by the multi-generation component. So, um, you know, either because I feel like people more old than me are not getting it as fast as I want them to, or people younger are not understanding the wisdom that I bring. So I find all of that really interesting, stimulating and challenging as opposed to being a thing that I worry about not getting along. And maybe that's just my approach to human relationships is I don't really think of it in terms of I don't get along or they won't like me. Um, I mean, honestly, just between us, I mean, I know other people are going to listen to this. (laughs) I just assume when I walk into any room, everybody's going to love me. So, you know, that's just my own personal massive ego walking in. I'm at it, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's a problem, you know? (laughs) Uh, I just don't approach it like that. And I really hope that we create an environment that even those people who do maybe approach a group situation with that concern held tightly in their hands, that they might feel immediately kind of disarmed by the group and like, oh, you know, I feel welcomed here. Yeah. You know where that shows up a lot, Lynn, is um, community dinners with teens and tweens because they want to be with each other, right? They're just going to flock together. They're going to sit at their own table. They're not going to, you know, participate in conversations unless, you know, really invite in with deliberate invitation and some prodding, then, then they'll do it, which is great and lovely and appreciated by all. But the broader table usually doesn't want to talk about the things that, that these things want to talk about either. Right. So yeah. 
So it's kind of this push pull of, you know, they want to have their own identity separate from the broader group, but the broader group still wants to have those inroads with them mm -hmm. so that the bridge is there when they're ready to cross it. The bridge is, is in place. Nice. And it's interesting because we give that grace to that age group because we all recognize that, you know, that's a pretty awful age group to go through. So, so we give them that grace and yet we don't give that to ourselves that, you know, sometimes we're going to want to just sit with the like-minded people. And then sometimes we're going to want to reach out and, and hear something new, nice. but the bridge needs to be there. I like the idea of that bridge. That's a great, I'm going to just hold on to that. And I'm going to then to transition us to the last thing we wanted to talk about today, just touch on the idea of you know, people ask, you know, what it, how are we going to manage conflict? And what often has them asking that question is, you know, where it might come up like shared work or consensus uh, decision-making processes that fall apart or noise or all these things that come up, right? When we start sharing much more proximate lives with each other. And I know you have some really great ways of talking about that being on the outside of community versus on the inside of community. Maybe you could share that with us. Well, I've been thinking about it in these terms that, you know, outside of community, you have kind of three options. You can either push through and get your way and then kind of you win and the other person then ergo loses, or you can avoid that person and never address the conflict, or you can give in. And then the other person, you know, gets what they want and you don't, and you, you, can come to terms with that, or you can kind of harbor a resentment and that's kind of the beginning of the end of a relationship. So that's kind of how things work a lot in the, in the outside world uh, that we all kind of came from, right? Mm -hmm. um, but then in community, you know, there's an intentionality that you want to be in relationship with people and there's gonna be conflict and there are going to be you know, times where something can't get resolved, but the structural nature of people really listening to each other and really being able to present their opinion as, as of equal weight really helps to diffuse that. Um, one of our professionals has talked a lot about um, you need to have a tradition and a culture of consensus. And in a healthy community with a good tradition and culture of consensus and listening and relationship, then when conflicts come up, they are managed in a way that is that the outcome is better than anyone could have envisioned. You know, it's that kind of I'm on side A, you're on side B, but then we wind up with C and we're mm -hmm. both happier because we are at C. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's that's probably the short version of it, because it's a really big discussion. A mm -hmm. lot of people bring up policies and other things. Um, that communities do. So mm -hmm. I think we should save like the work share one for another podcast. I think you're probably right on that. Um, you know, I just think this is a, a really hard uh, topic for people to get their minds around because everybody's got some story from their past where there was a conflict that, you know, all of the words that we're going to say here today is not going to in their mind, solve what happened in the past. So even if we had, and I think part of that is just on my little, you know, very, very early taste, if you will, of what this is gonna feel like from our Zoom COVID development phase of this community, um, I can already see that it's somehow different and I haven't yet really been able to put my finger on it, but I'm now starting to get a glimpse into what you're talking about. And I think 
if I had to boil it down to one single thing for me that I think is a difference is that is I feel in this group much more so than in any other group I've ever been a part of that there is an intention for a win-win solution to be the outcome. And, and, it, and when, you when you have trust that everybody else is coming to the table with an outcome, a desired outcome of us all being better, getting from the A, the B, the C to the actual, you know, kind of pull together solution. It completely shifts how I approach that conversation. Cause I'm definitely coming back at this from a very kind of corporate background where, you know, I'm in there to, to, to win. Now you can call it win-win if you like, but that's really just a euphemism. <laughs> For me getting my way and yeah. me having you think you also got something too. But really, it's all about me getting my way. And I can just see this thing shifting um, as we walk through more and more and more decisions. And um, it's just, it, it's intertwined with the, the whole foundation of it. And that is this consensus, consensus-based decision-making. And like you said, it just becomes a way of life. And, you know, we're moving through the stages of being, you know, unconsciously incompetent to being consciously incompetent to sometimes being consciously competent. Some of us are kind of dancing back and forth between those two lines. And I think our end objective will be if we can ever reach this nirvana state of unconsciously competent, that would be my ideal. And I really have a vision that we might get somewhere near that someday. Yeah. Or and at I, the very least, we will have a tradition and we will have um, enough kind of community support for that, mm -hmm. that we're able to make it easy to do that. Yeah. It's the easier thing to do when you behave that way. Nice. What a great way to finish. So we've covered private homes again, right? Knock that one out of the park. Finally, <laughs> that one's nailed to the ground. Um, what do we do if we don't get along with somebody? What if they don't like us? And had a good discussion about managing conflict. And I agree in a future episode, we'll talk about the whole work share uh, topic because that's vast. That might even need several podcasts. So, well, Kelly, I wish you a wonderful spring break getaway, camping you. with your you family. Too. Safe Thank travels. You. Safe travels. No, and exactly. we'll, we'll be back online to talk about some more FAQs next week. Sounds good, Lynn. Thanks. Okay, bye. Bye.